Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. And ordinarily, I'd look over and I see Mary Meyer, horticultural science faculty member and extension horticulturist from the U of M. Mary is on our CCO Newsline this morning. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Great to hear your voice, Denny. And yours as well, because I would have a tough job doing this lawn and garden show without you <laughs> this morning. So thanks, thanks for uh, for checking in. I want to remind our listeners that if they do have a uh, lawn or garden type of question, uh, call it in or text it in. It's the same number. So if whatever is easier for you. If you want to chat with Mary, great. If you want to send Mary a text, that'd be good too. Here is the uh, number for either, 651 989 9226. So uh, don't wait. Call uh, call Mary or send Mary a text and we'll uh, get your questions uh, answered. Well, I sure, Mary, see a whole lot of my yard now, given this uh, this melting going on. We've had it pretty decent compared to last year, haven't we? Yes, it's been a much milder winter. In fact, I was talking with some of my colleagues at the Arboretum and we are expecting minimal winter damage this year. So it's quite a difference from last year when we had so many problems. So hopefully we won't see as many uh, plants damaged. And uh, Mark Seeley, I know many listeners uh, pay attention to Mark Seeley and listen to him. He was talking with Weather Talk on um, yesterday about some areas that already are seeing the frost leave the top few inches of soil. So if you're interested in this, you can find the frost uh, maps through the uh, NOAA, the National um, National Weather Service shows maps, and you can see the frost depth. Now, of course, wherever there's a snow cover, there's still frost in the ground. But where there isn't snow cover here in the Twin Cities and certainly southern Minnesota, going down into Iowa, we're seeing the frost uh, start to leave the soil. So this is, yes. Spring is on its way. And we had uh, more uh, more rain the other day than I thought we were going to have. I, I, did that help or hinder anything? I was thinking you talk about frost in the ground uh, versus, you know, runoff if there still was any. But my, uh, like you said, compared to last year, my uh, boxwoods look pretty good. Yes, hopefully we won't have the amount of damage we had last year. So as long as there's the ground is still frozen, uh, any precipitation does uh, result in runoff. 
So until uh, there's some thawing, uh, yeah, the, the rain is not going to be absorbed uh, very well in the soil. But it's also a reminder uh, to stay off your lawns. Uh, that's sort of the first thing people want to do is get out and do some yard work and lawn work. And uh, when the soil is soggy and you can see your footprints is really when you should stay off of the soil and wait until it dries uh, more to get out there and actually do any raking or soil improvement. Because if you start walking and working on it, it kind of compacts it right down, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It compacts it even further. And compaction is a big issue with a lot of our soils. Uh, Most of our soils, because we live in housing developments where huge amount of equipment has been around uh, our homes, that we often have to deal with compacted soil. So you don't want to make that any worse. That's right. 651-989-9226 is the text number and the phone number. So if you want to call uh, or text either one, your lawn or garden question this morning. We're around every Saturday here on CCO in the 8 o'clock hour welcoming those questions. Uh, a texter says this, what do you think, Mary, of trying dormant seeding at this time? Well, um, dormant seeding at this time, that's an interesting question. We recommend that in the fall when uh, the chance of seed germination is uh, is low or won't happen so that the seed works itself down into the soil and as soon as the uh, temperatures are warm enough, the seed will germinate. My concern with doing it right now would be whether or not it would actually get into the soil or it would run off uh, with any moisture that would come if the frost is not completely gone. Uh, the seed could wash away. It uh, wouldn't get down into the soil where it would have a better chance of staying there through the winter. So, um, you know, dormant seeding ends up to be spring seeding pretty soon here. So, uh, the you know, the question is the temperature of the soil when you put that seed down in order for it to germinate. It's got to be you know, up into the 60s or 70s for soil temperatures to actually get that seed to germinate. So I'd be concerned about losing the seed in just uh, being washed off the site at this point. I think probably I'd wait until the soil is the proper temperature for germination, which is going to push us into more into the May category. Yeah, that makes more sense because you never know. You could, even if you get good seed to, to soil contact, we could get, you know, cold temperatures, and if they started, you know, coming out of the ground there and then freezes, you, you've you've wasted your money. So, I, yeah, I would wait. Wait for a while. Right. That, you're right. That's the second precaution, that pre-germination um, too early, and then the whole thing would die. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Texter wants to know, if I want to attract lightning bugs, what can I plant or put in my landscaping? Comes from Jeff. Uh, Jeff, that is a great question. So the lightning bug, I would do, if I were you, I would do some personal research on the lightning bugs. Um, these uh, insects, we do often see these insects on um, many of our flowers, especially the fall blooming flowers, asters, goldenrod, um, those plants that bloom chrysanthemums late in the summer. The other thing is, is the lightning bugs really require quite a bit of moisture and um, 
I'm not sure. We we have seen some in Minnesota. I saw more of those where I lived in slightly warmer climates in Pennsylvania. But I would um, I would look closely at what the life cycle is of that insect and what uh, particular flowers it likes. So my guess is the fall-blooming um, mums, asters, chrysanthemums. Okay. You know, we should mention, too, uh, this morning, like we always like to do, is that U of M website. What is that, and what can we find there? Oh, right. I'm sure lots of people are looking at the website um, today. Uh, so it's extension.umn.edu, and then click on Learn, and then Yard and Garden. And we have lots of information up there uh, on the website. And then we have a blog, the Yard and Garden blog, the news blogs. Uh, listeners can subscribe to that and regularly get the notices when new articles are published. So we are ramping up now. As we get into March, we do um, a couple of editions of the blog every month. And um, this month, we have, thanks to our listeners, now the last time I was on, someone asked about um, a seed starting chart. And so I wrote an article on um, seeds to start, when to start them, and then linked that to the information we have on the extension website. So Seed starting is up there. The other thing that um, I just put up is an article about water and houseplants because we have a lot of questions on water quality and kind of water for your houseplants. So that article just went up. So extension.umn.edu, then click on Yard and Garden. Excellent. We'll repeat that before you leave us today. Hang on, Mary. We'll need to take a quick break here. But if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, you can call it in, talk to Mary. Or send Mary a text, same number, 651-989-9226. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question for Mary Meyer from the U of M, call it in or text it in. It is the same number, 651-989-9226. Well, we hear of all sorts of closings these days, uh, temporarily or otherwise. And Mary, uh, did you uh, tell us or would you tell us the Arboretum, I believe, is closed as well? Yes, uh, we um, are uh, under the uh, University of Minnesota. Of course, most people realize that, that we're part of the wonderful University of Minnesota. And there is a system-wide shutdown for all of the um, affiliated uh, businesses, uh, institutions with the Arboretum. So we are are doing that. So uh, if visitors or listeners go to our website, they'll see the information there. The Arboretum, our grounds have closed. Uh, we know that getting into nature and being outside uh, is a wonderful thing to do at this time of year, very restorative. But uh, it's difficult to have people at the Arboretum if you don't have visitor services with a building closed and things like that. So until uh, further notice, the Arboretum grounds as well as the buildings are closed. So there's still a lot of nature where hopefully people can get um, out into or at least look at wonderful pictures of nature. Yeah. Um, I've had to set up, I've set up a home office and I'm looking at a wonderful picture uh, from the Arboretum. So hopefully a lot of our listeners can do that as well. And in the future, when things change, you uh, let us know as well when, uh, when that happens. Right. That will be posted um, on the website. Yes. Okay. Temporary closure. Excellent. Right. So be advised. Thanks very much for that. All right. We have callers, Mary. We have texters as well. Any kind of a lot of garden question, don't wait. Call in or text in 
888-900-9226. Let's go back to the phones. I think Joe is calling from Victoria. Joe, you're on with Mary. Hey, Mary. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I have some, I'd say, 10-year-old maple trees where the roots are starting to come up out of the grass. Uh, and I know the best thing to do is to just plant hostas or something and just eliminate the problem because that's natural, a tendency of those roots. But I want to I want to preserve the grass. And I know that you can't, you could cover the roots, but you not more than maybe an inch or two of dirt. I'd like you to confirm that. But then the real question is, can, can I just, can I top dress the grass to raise the adjoining area next to the root uh, a little bit so that uh, uh, I don't chip it with my lawnmower blade? Yes. Well, what you say, Joe, is right. The, the, you have to put a very minimal amount of top dressing on there. Two inches is the absolute max. One inch is actually better. So this is really an annual job for you because if you persist in wanting to have grass there, you're probably going to have to plant it on a regular, um, almost annual, or at least do some work on an annual basis. And I would encourage you to use one of the fine fescues. Those are grasses that have a big shade tolerance and drought tolerance because the two issues there, not only is it shadier, but it's very dry because those tree roots are taking the moisture. So, uh, you know, two inches at the most, top dress, put the seed down. The fall is a better timing for seeding, but you can do the seeding in the spring. And your first uh, reaction planting hostas is actually the best thing to do. I mean, you, get, you grass is much harder to grow there than uh, the hostas or our other uh, ground cover plants. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Uh, let's talk to Sue, who's calling in from uh, Oak Grove, I believe. Sue, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning, you guys. Okay, so I am going to be the grumpy gardener here. <laughs> I, have a, I have a problem with hydrangeas. I cannot seem, I can grow anything but a hydrangea. And everybody tells me, cut them down to the ground every year and they'll grow back. My question is twofold. Number one, is that a good idea to cut them down to the ground before they start to bud here? And number two, how much growth will I see each year if I do that? Okay, Sue, um, I think you're, re you're not a grumpy gardener. This is a, this is a difficult thing for people to understand because there are too many kinds of hydrangeas. And um, I can assure you, you will have great success if you get what I call the shrub or the bigger hydrangea. This is hydrangea arborescence or hydrangea paniculata. These are basically big plants. So if you want a little hydrangea, something that is three feet or less, that is macrophylla. That is a very hard plant to grow in our climate to get it to flower. So macrophylla, lots of water, good shade tolerance, but it just doesn't do as well in our climate. However, there are always new ones coming out. There's a lot of it, and that is what the um, endless summer is, and all those shorter ones are more challenging to grow. So go, go. My my suggestion is go for a bigger hydrangea, paniculata, uh, Annabelle, or uh, 
let's see, uh, vanilla and strawberries. There's so many new ones that are bigger plants. That's kind of the easiest way to find them. If you've got that macrophylla, the, the shorter one, don't prune it at all. <laughs> Just forget about pruning it. It's the simplest way to do it. Um, what's out there might not look so good for a while, but it's hard to tell where the buds are on it. It's just a more challenging one to grow. All right. Very good, Sue. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Kevin is calling from Wasika, I do believe, with a, a question. Kevin, uh, you're on CCO. Good morning. Well, very good morning to you, sir, uh, both of you. Uh, I have a question. In a number of uh, seed catalogs, they advertise uh, a chemical uh, to uh, put on tree stumps to get them to, uh, I guess, basically rot away. Uh, I have a number of tree stumps I'd like to have removed. Um, have you had any luck or any recommendations as far as using a chemical to uh, uh, get the stumps to decompose, please? Yes, Kevin, that's a, that's kind of a common question, and um, you you can try that. But if you read closely on the label, what the recommendations are going to tell you is to dig holes in the stump. Put water in there and then put this chemical in there. And basically digging holes and putting water in the stump is going to do just as much good as any chemical because you're really breaking apart the wood that's there and increasing the moisture and and speeding up the decay process. So the chemical in and of itself, I believe, will have little uh, uh, benefit just digging away at that stump and uh, adding water so the moisture is there so that the rotting goes faster, that's that's really about it. Um, you know, as long as you're not going to plant exactly where that stump is, um, it, they will decay normally. You'll get some beautiful mushrooms that will come up along the decaying roots and so on that you can watch, but um, the decay will go on. Uh, the, ma- the faster you can help it, the better. The chemical probably won't do very much. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, the texter says this, we have signs of moles with an M all over part of our lawn. What's the best way to get rid of them and to repair the lawn? I didn't think moles were active this time of year. Maybe we should say oh, the my. different. What's the yeah. difference between moles and voles? Big difference. Moles and voles. Yeah, moles are a bigger than a vole. Vole really looks uh, very similar to a mouse in small, small size. Moles are bigger. They tend to make bigger uh, runways and do more damage. And guess what? Yeah, my husband spotted evidence of what really looked like a mole to me in our uh, right the edge of one of my flower beds mm. and yes a, a big tunnel and I was astounded because this time of the year you know when the ground is frozen you don't usually see that no. I think probably maybe it happened last uh, fall and then it snowed and the leaves covered up I didn't notice it or it's possible if the our listener has an area that is uh, warmer, that it's the first um, signs of spring activity. Um, it's difficult to control moles. The, the only thing that really has worked well are the big traps. And these traps are dangerous. They're not something you want around where children are, but the traps are spring-loaded and they uh, put a, a big metal it comes down when the mole runs under the runway where the trap is. 
so trapping is is a, a really you know that's a serious way to uh, think about controlling moles um, they're there because they're feeding on insects or looking for insects in the soil and um, it's they're not we don't have a lot of good ways to control them other than step on the runways and hope they move to another location. Yeah, because they're looking for food. Yeah, you're right. That's the uh, those those traps are are, are uh, spring loaded. So yeah, that's. I guess if you really are serious about it, maybe you should call a pest control person to to take care. If you don't have kids or certain animals around, yeah. Right. That's that's definitely another option. Right? Yep. All right, Mary, we need to take a quick break. Bottom of the hour break. We'll have a look at that forecast. Another half hour of the show to go, but don't wait. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. We get a bunch of text messages, Mary, we'll get to when we come back after the break. 651-989-9226. We are back with our Smart Garden Show. Mary Meyer is on our CCO Newsline with uh, answering your questions, your lawn and garden questions. Uh, six five one. I see a line open now. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. If you want to fill it, or if it's easier, send Mary a text. Same number. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. There's a text, and then we'll grab some calls. Mary, is it okay? Texter says to dethatch and reseed in the spring, and if so, when should I do it? Um, spring is the second best time. Uh, fall is the best time to do it, but depending on conditions. Um, yes, you can do it. Uh, I would shoot for, you know, it's always, it's always a guess with the weather, but normally about, um, sometime in May. So early May, if we're having an early spring, which some predictions have now, or, um, once the, once your lawn has dried out sufficiently, then definitely dethatching it is fine. The seeding again, it's better in the fall, but if you've got a thin area and you want to do some seeding, um, you can go ahead and do that after the dethatching. Uh, as soon as the soil temperature gets up to 70 degrees, you'll see germination. All right. Mary, a texter wants to know, where can we find frost depths? So there's a map that the uh, National Weather Service puts out. So if you just Google frost depth map, uh, you'll find that uh, at least that was like the first thing that came up for me with Google. And it has in the United States. And then you can click on different locations in the Midwest and you can see that. And um, they're color coded uh, for the depth of the frost. So very good. Should be pretty easy to find. Excellent. Uh, Barb is calling in from New Hope, I uh, believe. Uh, Barb, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, um, regarding the moles or the gopher problems, my dad had a, a real good solution for them. In the past, he had a couple knee replacements, and my mom fractured her hip, and he had quite a few leftover um, hydrocodone-type, you know, drugs. So he crushed them up and made a paste, and then he put the paste down in the gopher hole, and he never had a gopher problem after that. I guess they ate the pills. He mixed mm. it with a little peanut butter, and they went to sleep and never woke up. Boy, I, I, I don't know if I'd go for that. Oh, Barb, mm. yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sure that would do a job on them. if they. Yeah, the peanut butter would be a good attraction. Yes, so, um, right. Um, good or good or bad, I guess most of us don't have access to that type of drug. However, 
yes, I could see how that would do it. I, I don't think I'd want that around, especially if I had dogs or other pets. I mean, forget that. You know. Yeah, you're uh, you're right, Jenny. So, yeah, I don't I don't have a pet, and so I don't think of that automatically. But good point. I don't even know how legal that is to put uh, opioids like that exposed, even with peanut butter. You know, it's uh, well, that's a whole other whole other show, I think. Uh, you know, we used to do, Not- Mary. We we used to do uh, have a fun show once in a while with uh, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Harold Bailey. He was the, called the Friendly Trapper, and he always used to say, "For moles, uh, get." And I can't remember the brand, but he said he he mentioned a specific chewing gum brand. He said, you know, chew that up, wad it up, and put that down there. And uh, for lack of a better term, it plugs them up. <laughs> if you catch my drift, it plugs the moles Amazing. up. <laughs> so I, I've never tried it, but uh, that, that was the friendly yeah. trapper. All right, let's see. So what? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Let's go back to the phones. Dominic's calling from North Oaks, I believe. Dominic, good morning. What can we do for you? Good morning. <laughs> Um, I have a poinsettia that I received at Christmas time from uh, uh, my sister-in-law in Colorado, and it's a giant one, and it's too large to put into my sink to uh, fill it with water and drain it well. So I've been adding about a cup a week of water. It feels pretty heavy, so I think it's got enough water. But the leaves at the ends are turning brown, some of them. And I'm wondering if I'm using too much water. I add about uh, eight ounce cup a week. Yes. Yeah, so that uh, leaf browning or tip browning is a sign of some of the roots are dying. So Dominique, you you got to figure out what's going on in the bottom of the pot with this poinsettia. And I I know you said it's too big to get in the sink, but I would take it to. Um, I don't know, maybe temporarily out to your porch or something where you can lift that up and make sure the water is not collecting in the base of the pot. So if it has uh, some type of a decorative um, um, gift wrapping around it or something, you want to take that all off. It might be double potted. You want to make sure you can see that there is... um, a drainage in the bottom of the pot and allow the water to drain off completely. If it's feeling heavy, it might just be accumulating water in the bottom of that pot. And so you want to drain it well. And you don't have to do that um, every time you water, but every, you know, every couple of weeks, you need to get it uh, drained, drain better from the bottom. Okay. Let's see. A texter says this, Mary. Uh, my rhubarb is coming up. It probably froze last night. Will it come back, do you think? And is there any way to protect it? It's in the middle of the yard, not by my house, which would protect it. What do you think? Well, I think the rhubarb is a really tough plant. It loves the cold conditions that we have here in the north. You know, people in the south can't grow rhubarb because it they it needs the cold winters. So I think it will be just fine. If some of it was damaged with the colder weather, um, that it'll be a little bit of browning, but the temperatures, uh, it will react the right way to the temperatures, and it, it will, in the end, be okay. All right. Let's go back to the phones. Mary is calling from uh, Minneapolis. Mary, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning, both of you. Um, I bought some flower seeds just this week, and I'm wondering if I... If- if these are the kind that I can plant ahead of time in my house, 
Uh, one of them is the cardinal climber, which is a vine, so I doubt if that can be planted ahead, but maybe it can. Uh, cosmos and uh, zinnias. Can I start those ahead of time? Normally, you don't need to start cosmos and zinnias time. Those are really rapidly germinating seed. And I think if you look on the back of the packet, they will talk to you about sow outside when all danger of frost is passed. And those come up within a week or 10 days outside. That cardinal climber vine, though, that's the one I, I think about starting that indoors because many of our vines are they take a longer time to get up and growing. So look at the the back of the seed packet as well. The cardinal climber is the one that I think um, you could think about doing that now. Most of the time you need about four to six weeks indoors before you put most of these things outdoors. Uh, sometimes it's longer. And that's what the article is that I wrote in the Yard and Garden News. So I'd first read the back of the seed packets and maybe the cardinal climber. Mary, a texter sent in this text. What would make all the berries fall off our flowering crab tree? Usually the birds eat them all. Never had this happen before. Well, sometimes the abscission layer doesn't form on those fruits until a long time. Um, and um, it usually is related to the environmental conditions. Uh, birds often will come in after there's been freezing and thawing to actually make these berries uh, more, or apples in this case, more palatable. So sometimes in the late winter, now early spring, we see berries um cedar wax wings and so on, flocks of these will come onto our um, apple trees and they love these berries that are kind of like, you know, they're they're now more palatable. But the dropping of the fruit, that's the really the abscission layer is formed. And again, that's environmental uh, conditions. Okay. Let us go back to the phones, Mary. Sue is calling in from Shoreview this morning. Sue, good morning. Good morning. Great program. Thank you. Uh, I planted daylilies in my perennial garden years ago. They are overtaking the perennial garden. Aside from digging them up, which is a massive job, how can I get rid of them? Well, yes, digging them up was the first thing I was going to say. The common daylily, you're right, that's got a great big root system. The root system on the daylily is like our fingers. You know, big, big uh, storage structure. There's a lot to dig up. And, and, Sue, you're right. It's hard to even get the whole thing. A little piece of it left there, it will still keep coming. Well, if it's possible for you to run the lawnmower over them and just keep cutting them back, uh, I, w- I would try that. That's kind of an easy way to do it. There are, of course, chemicals that you can use to spray on that that will kill the plants. Even... Um, even a chemical you'll probably have to put on a couple times because of that big root system there with the daylily. So the easiest thing is a lawnmower. Uh, another way would be to totally cover up the plants. If you've got some heavy plastic or a tarp or something, you could put that down on the ground to completely exclude the light. And that will take a whole season, but um, light exclusion will help to kill them as well. Very good. Hang on, Mary. We're going to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. If you have a lawn or garden question, we have callers, we have texters, so everybody 
Uh, stay there. We'll be right back after this break. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Maybe, uh, Mary, for those folks that joined us a little bit late, uh, being uh, the Arboretum being a part, it's the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. Uh, that'll be uh, closing down, right? Give us the details, if you would, again. Yes, the Arboretum, uh, because it's part of the University of Minnesota, all of the uh, affiliated campuses have closed. So uh, the Arboretum is a wonderful place to visit for a walk, for restoration and reflection. Um, however, without the building being able to be open, it's difficult to have visitors there. So the uh, Arboretum is closed until further notice. So uh, watch the website. There'll be uh, information there. This is a temporary closure. And as soon as it's open again, the information will be up on the website. We, and we will tell folks about it uh, as well on this particular program, too. Thanks, Mary. Uh, let's grab a call, and we'll have a bunch of text messages we can help, too. Wayne is calling from Forest Lake. Hi, Wayne. What is your question? Good morning. Uh, well, I'm wondering what's going on with the ash trees. It started uh, last fall. I uh, swept off my uh, apron in my garage and vacuumed up the, these little seeds on my on my driveway. It amounted to about two five-gallon pails, <laughs> and they're... They're still coming down, and I'm wondering if there's uh, overproducing seeds to uh, uh, compensate for the emerald ash borer. Sometimes we do see that, Wayne. Uh, Kind of trees in their last uh, last hurrah will put out a huge uh, amount of seed. We were lucky in that our last year's winter, we complained about that. It was a tough winter, but it did seem to slow the insect, the emerald ash borer. We didn't see the devastation that we had expected, because we think, because of the uh, severe winter conditions. So this winter we've just coming out of is milder, and we'll have to see what that difference makes with our ash trees. So the... Uh, information is up on the Department of Agriculture's website for our quarantine, where that um, is in place and where the emerald ash borer has been cited. Uh, The information on uh, preventative care for individual ash trees. Um, As a homeowner, you should know how many ash trees are on your property, and you should be thinking about and planting replacement trees because we feel so many of those trees are going to die now is a good time to think about what other trees should you be planting. Uh, some cities, like my city, the city of Plymouth, has trees for sale, bare root trees. But you should be thinking about how to replace those ash trees and get a diversity of species on your property. Very good. A lawn question uh, via text, Mary. It says, what's the white fuzz on my lawn? Uh, the white fuzz on your lawn is probably snow mold. So this is what we see, uh, a fun- fungal diseases that live and actually do like the cold conditions that uh, come right after snow is there. So sometimes um, it's uh, more prevalent in shady conditions, but where there's less uh, airflow. Um it's a common occurrence, and it will be there for a while. Golf courses use a preventative treatment to take care of that. For homeowners, um, it's usually not too devastating, and as the lawn dries out and we can rake it, 
um, you'll see it disappear. I would caution you against raking it until it's really dry enough. Otherwise, you might just start tearing up the whole grass and the roots and everything might come up. So um, you'll see less of it and then uh, rake it as soon as it dries out. Okay, very good. Uh, Texter says, I hear that people are putting their poinsettias outside in the summer. If animals eat it, will they be harmed? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I'm not a veterinarian, so I'm not sure about how many animals would actually be harmed. We as, as humans have to eat a tremendous amount of that poinsettia in order for it to, to affect us. But I don't know what a veterinarian would say about that. I don't know an instance where that's happened. The poinsettia loves uh, hot, hot conditions, and they do. Uh, they are native in Mexico. You see them outside there. You see them in in Africa in uh, very tropical climates. So they have no frost tolerance, but they do grow into shrubs, and they'll get very large if you have them outside. Okay. Uh... How, the texture says, how do you prepare an area for a vegetable garden that was once a garden but became overgrown with weeds last summer? Uh, what kind of weed killer can I safely use? You know, I wouldn't worry about using a chemical. Uh, if it used to be a garden, it's very likely that a lot of what's there are annual weeds. And so those annuals, the plants are dead. The issue you've got are the seeds and the seed bank that's going to come up there. So the seed bank is really going to be the problem. So I would do, I'd remove uh, the big plants that are there. They'll probably come out quite easily. But then I'd be concerned about that seed bank. And uh, I would use some type of an organic mulch in between the plants you put in. So after you do some rototilling or um, uh, uh, tilling of the soil, then put in your plants and then use an organic mulch like a clean straw, grass clippings, uh, some other type of mulch. Uh, you can use wood chips, things like that, around those plants to um, try to suppress that huge seed bank that, that you're going to have there. Okay. See if we have time for one or two more texts. Uh, every year it says... Uh, we buy a Christmas tree to decorate outdoors to have on our deck. Is there a pine tree that I could grow in a container and decorate instead? I've seen more lacy-looking evergreens that I'd like. By the way, I love your advice every week. Thank you. What do you think, Mary? Well, uh, the issue with this is that any type of a container plant in Minnesota it is, doesn't matter if it's our wonderful uh, eastern white pine or uh, red pine, whatever. These plants are really hardy, but their roots in a container are just a problem. They're, the roots are going to die in our winter conditions above ground. So the only way you can make this work is if you sink that container into the ground. So you really have to protect the roots from the cold air temperatures. So if you figure out some way to put it in the ground <laughs> as a container, uh, then you might get that to work. But, the, you know, in the, in the coldest time of year, December, February, January, you, you want to enjoy that on your back deck. And it's the roots are what the problem is. It's that, That's really tough. Okay. 
Maybe we have time for one more. Let's see. Uh, the, this texture has a half dozen milkweed pods that are not opened yet. What to do with them? Can they just be opened and broadcast? Yes, you can do that. Uh, you'll uh, if they're if as long as they're totally mature, and you'll be able to see that once you open the pod. Many times those pods will open on their own. You want to see a dark, a medium to dark brown seed there, and then of course the the hairs on it that are kind of the parachute. That's always the parachute's always white, but the seed should be a brown color. If the seed is green, then it's not ripe. But as long as it's brown, and if you're not sure, you can always still disperse that. I would wait until we get closer to May to actually disperse those, and hopefully they'll land on soil um, then in May rather than now when they might fly around and a lot of them, uh, would the seed would be lost. But good for you. Yeah. Mary, we are out of time. Thank you so much for your help. What do you say, since some folks are hunkered down at home, we give them that university website to look over? Yes, always a pleasure to do this show, Denny. I think lots of folks will be planning their gardens, looking at our website, extension.umn.edu. Click on Yard and Garden. You can read the latest news there, uh, how to water your houseplants. Think about planning your garden for next year. Lots of great information at extension.umn.edu. Very good, Mary. Thanks so much again. Stay healthy, will you please? You too. Thanks, right. Danny. Thanks, Mary. Mary Meyer, horticulturist from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.